Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our title today is How to Teach and Preach from the Inside Out. How to Teach and Preach from the Inside Out. I'm going to share an excerpt of a podcast I did uh, a few months ago with Preaching Today, which is, comes out of Christianity Today, with a friend of mine, Matt Woodley. The reason I thought it would be so important to share this podcast with you is I, I think we got at some core contributions, or if not the core contribution, that Emotionally Healthy Discipleship gets at uh, in the area of teaching and preaching out of our 26 years of doing theological work and wrestling with teaching and preaching. Uh, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in a classroom, whether you're you know, teaching in a, within a ministry, a small group, children, youth, young adults, any area, arena in which you teach. Now, preaching and teaching is such an important part of building community, but it's more than crafting a, a one-liner. It's more than a structure. Uh, it's more than great introductions and closings. It's more than memorability. Uh, you know, it's so easy to be teaching and preaching out of a, you know, thinking about that Instagram Instagram quote or a tweet or a Facebook uh, liner. You, you can get that, but really miss the whole point. Uh, which really is about your life, uh, that this, this what I'm teaching and preaching is coming out of the substance of who I am, not just knowing about things, but preaching and teaching out of a lived experience and uh, asking those different kind of questions as you're approaching it. In fact, I just remember Jerry being so clear to me as I moved into this EH discipleship paradigm and but preaching from a very different place out of a struggle, out of weakness, vulnerability, authenticness, uh, not so much out of stories of success and victory, but within the limits of time that I've got, but really getting at teaching and preaching from the inside out, what does that look like? And so in this podcast, um, I talk about some questions to get at it, six handles on, on how do you do it. Uh, so let me invite you to, to listen in on our conversation. I think you'll find it very, very helpful. Uh, and again, let me encourage you to pick up uh, perhaps a, a little for a free ebook we've got on on church culture called Church Culture Revolution: uh, Six Qualities of a Church Culture That Deeply Transforms Lives, Deeply Changes Lives, and at emotionallyhealthy.org/churchculture. And the reason that might be really helpful to pick up from our website is because you are the culture, and teaching and preaching shapes culture like few other things. And so check out check that out at emotionallyhealthy.org/church culture. So let's, let me invite you now to listen in on this podcast on the intersection of emotionally healthy discipleship and the task of teaching and preaching on how do we teach and preach from the inside out. So, you know, there's so much that we can say about preaching, isn't there? And uh, so what I'd like to do is just take six distinctives of what I'm going to call emotionally healthy preaching. Uh, and you know, you can respond to that, but there's of course lots of, there's so much about preaching, right. To talk about, but I I think the contribution I can bring to the table out of my own history is the integration of what we call emotionally healthy discipleship and leadership into our preaching. So I'm going to give you six uh, questions that I like to ask myself around uh, when I'm preaching and teaching, not just preaching, but teaching at all. And uh, because Listen, preaching and teaching, standing for God, uh, it's just a, uh, it's its more than giving a TED Talk, all right? And uh, it's uh, overwhelming. It's, it's, it's a large enterprise. So, all right, let's go to the six questions. First is this, ask yourself is, am I preaching for Jesus out of a life 
of being with Jesus? Am I, am I preaching for Jesus out of a life of having been with Jesus? And again, this flows out of this um, understanding that we, we bring who we are uh, from that pulpit. In other words, uh, it's who we are is way more important than what we say. And what we possess, uh, we cannot give uh, what we don't possess. We can only give what we do possess. So in other words, what's inside of us, the level of transformation inside of us is what we're able to bring to our people. And the state we are in uh, is the state that we give to people. I used to think that if I was all agitated on the inside and anxious and or angry, that I could preach about contentment and peace and nobody would notice. Uh, and it's true, most people would not notice. A few very mature, astute folks would, of course. Uh, but I actually thought that I could preach of things that I, were not inside of me. I wasn't living, uh, and it was actually going to transform people. And I, I, you know, I was 26 years as the lead pastor of a church, you know, preaching pretty much regularly. We moved to preach team preaching uh, by probably year 16, uh, which I wish I had done much earlier. Uh, but I still was the primary preacher as the lead pastor until my 26 years was up. Uh, and it is a, it is a really large calling and it's very tempting and easy to preach things that we're not living. I know cause I I've done it. Uh, and so the question then is, is in, around this one, am I, is my being with Jesus sufficient to the sermon I'm giving? Uh, and do I have enough, have I had enough space for this message and truth to actually germinate, gestate inside of me? Uh, is my, do I have enough contemplative time alone uh, with God and with myself so this truth actually gets in my soul uh, and becomes a part of me? Uh, it's just easy to spend so much time preparing and looking for a great illustration. And so my, my preaching life took a, a pretty drastic turn. I, I was trained in the classic, you know, I was into varsity staff worker and then Gordon Conwell, uh, you know, love my Greek, Hebrew, my exegesis study. I love studying. And so I put a lot of work into my sermons uh, for the first seven, eight years um, of preaching regularly. And I, I, mean, I still do, but the, the kind of work I did changed. Uh, and my, I slowed everything down after about seven, eight years. I got into this journey we call emotionally healthy discipleship because, again, I realized I was uh, – uh, I was hurried, I was overloaded, I was tired, uh, and I was preaching. And so that's a problem in and of itself. And so uh, I began to ask myself the first question, Am I, is my preaching flowing out of a life of being with Jesus? And so uh, that means I had to really slow down my life. And so I began to, in things like daily offices became part of my life, Sabbath keeping, uh, very key, uh, silence and solitude, uh, very core, a lot more meditating and praying scripture versus simply exegeting it. Uh, not that I didn't do my exegesis, but I spent a lot more time uh, letting that message get into me and praying it and meditating on that scripture so it would become a part of me than I did in looking for the tremendous illustration. In fact, Jerry, if she was here, would say that my sermons pre and post EH discipleship were quite different, especially once we dove deep into uh, what I we call monasticism, or the riches of silent solitude, Sabbath, a rule of life, really bringing the riches of a contemplative life into our missional church 
in the inner city of New York, uh, it just changed my sermons because, for example, I would stop on uh, Friday, you know, Friday morning, I might take a look at my sermon again, um, final look, but I was trying to finish it by Friday morning. And then I would take a, you know, I do my unpaid work on Friday, go into a Sabbath and I might stop for an hour on Saturday night after my Sabbath was over and just take a final look at it. But I let it go. I just let the sermon go because sermons are never finished. Uh, and so I would go into Sunday and preaching in our case, we had three services, but the most important person to me that I was leading going into that into this into the sermon was me that i could be there in front of everyone and actually love them not be thinking about myself but thinking about them and god and coming from a deep place in him so i wasn't going crazy any longer about do i have a great introduction although i like to have a great introduction i like to have great illustrations but as you know when you're preaching regularly um it's just not you can spend all your time crafting a sermon now Again, with social media, you're looking for a one. I, I meet pastors spending a lot of time on one-liners, uh, and and um, I, I'm not sure it's the best use of your time. If it happens, it happens. Uh, so that's number one. Are you preaching out of a life of being with Jesus? Uh, is your being sufficient to correspond for your doing? Are you are you up there preaching from a place that overflows? If not, that is the Holy Spirit, in my humble opinion, tapping you on the shoulder, saying something's off. Want you to readjust some of your priorities, maybe preach less, whatever, but uh, you're doing too much. So that's number one. Second question I ask is this, am I present to myself and to the people in the room? Am I present to myself and the people in the room? Uh, again, it's easy to be thinking about how am I doing? How's this sermon coming off? How are people, I want to watch how people are responding, but one of the best things I think I, I learned the hard way was I get up there. And before I start, I just get, I just take a few moments of silence. It might be 10, 20 seconds just to, to look at the people, to, to see them, uh, because I'm preaching to people uh, and I'm trying to offer them a gift, some food from God's table to feed them in their walk with him. And that pausing or silence for a few seconds before I begin to me is very important because uh, I want to see them and love them. If you love them, uh, that covers a multitude of sins. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, after a week is over, I barely remember what I preached the week before, uh, let alone the people who are sitting there listening to me. I mean, it's quite a quite a thing that people would sit and listen to us speak. I mean, think about it for 20, 30, 40 minutes. And we're speaking of things to shape their lives. Uh, and so I want to, again, I want to, number one, I want to make sure my being uh, with Jesus and with myself is set. And then secondly, I want to make sure I'm loving these people. Um, and that takes some heart preparation as well. Uh, so that's the second question you want to ask. If you're so wrapped up in the sermon that, you know, because you can be thinking about a sermon right to the moment you preach it. My sermons rarely, for, you know, just for what it's worth, I, I would say I can count on the number of times in my hand when I feel like God just dropped the sermon out of heaven to me, like it just came to me and it was like, wow, that was easy. Uh, no, I'd say that in every other instance, sermon has been a birthing of labor uh, and pain and has gone through an up and down process. Um, and so, and secondly, sermons are never finished. I mean, in a sense, we, God, I think, keeps us in this place where 
we're always having to lean on him. And so we get in that pulpit, even if no matter how much prep we've done, there's this sense where it's a, it's a moment and we're not quite sure what's going to happen because we're just, we have to trust him and it's unfinished. Uh, we're limited human beings. And so that's why this inner work is so important. And so I just have to remind myself this, I, I offer my loaves and fishes uh, out of my limits, my unique personality. I offer them to God. I offer them to everybody in the room. And I just, that's it. I offer my loaves, Lord, take these loaves and fishes and uh, may it serve their formation, their following of Jesus. But I want to make sure that part of my offering loaves and fishes is I love these folks and I care about them uh, as Jesus followers or fo potential Jesus followers, but I come in the name of Jesus to them. That's the second question. Wow. Okay. Number three, I'm asking the question, am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture? Am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture? Now, again, part of serious discipleship for any believer is to go back in order to go forward. In other words, looking at how your family of origin and how your family did life, the rules, the family commandments, the way your family did anger, success, money, sex, uh, relationships, singleness, marriage, work, recreation. There's a certain way that all that was done in your family of origin. But when we come to Jesus and we're building a community and a church, we're teaching people how to live in the new family of Jesus. Well, that means the scriptures then uh, clash with our different cultures and our family of origin. And I see we've got people here on the on the webinar from all around the world. Uh, but regardless, even uh, you know, you may be you know Irish or African American or Latino, I'm Italian American. You may be. Uh, you know, from Argentina, you may be from Ghana, you may be from Pakistan, you may be from, you know, Israel. Uh, so we all come with our unique family of origin stories and, and our um, cultures. And so therefore, when I'm in a text, I'm letting that text interact with deep beneath my iceberg, what's I mean, my own life. So say, for example, I'm preaching on, let's say I'm preaching on, um, um, uh, Let's say I'm preaching on, you know, I did a sermon, uh, follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. And uh, it's actually a chapter in the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And uh, But I've been working on it for quite a while. And uh, taking uh, a text, Matthew 23, where Jesus says, everything they do is for people to see. Uh, I think it's Matthew 23, 5. And how Jesus calls his followers to uh, not do the, basically, I call it the Americanized, and that was my way of contextualizing it, the Americanized Jesus, which is feel good, be happy, versus the crucified Jesus, where we let, we all die with Christ and be resurrected with him. In other words, we let the scriptures kill the parts of us that need to be killed and raise us up to what it wants to be raised. So I let it intersect with my own life. How much of my life is, quote, one, looking for popularity uh, or people to be impressed with me? So letting that go into my family of origin, which, you know, <clears throat> again, how in my family growing up, uh, because my parents were quite absent, uh, looking for approval was a big thing. Uh, looking for greatness, my family defined greatness by money and all this other stuff. And uh, what is success, even defining success differently. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, avoiding the world. I call American Christianity is avoiding pain and failure. Uh and the cross. Uh, and so anyway, I let it go intersect with my own life and how I'm even interacting in a conversation with my 26 year old daughter who's living with, with us right now in COVID. Uh, 
And am I having this conversation to impress her? Uh, everything they do is for people to see. Well, it works out in my conversation with my adult daughter uh, over dinner last night and listening to her and the temptation to want to show her that her pop is not a loser, you know, and uh, he's okay. But that goes back to family of origin stuff. So again, letting it go in uh, and go out. That's the second question. That's the third question. So first question, am I preaching uh, for Jesus out of a life with Jesus? Secondly, am I present to myself and to the people in the room? The third is, Am I allowing the text to intersect with my family of origin and culture? Uh, again, that's why if you've never done a genogram uh, of your family of origin, uh, that's core basic discipleship that you'll want to do at some point. Uh, and we can talk about it later with Matt after this little presentation. Fourth question I ask is, am I preaching out of vulnerability and weakness? Am I preaching out of vulnerability and weakness? Now that comes out of, you know, I, the models of preaching that I was exposed to before I started uh, were basically pastors that were incredibly effective communicators, eloquent, smart. Uh, I used to be wowed by folks' eloquence, and they preached out of their successes and strengths. Um, I'm talking here about preaching out of your weakness and vulnerability. Uh, in other words, Think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he boasts about his weakness and thorn in the flesh. Think about David committing adultery and murder and writing a song about it uh, in Psalm 51 to be sung in churches, but they're leading out of vulnerability and weakness. They weren't leading out of that over-realized eschatology, super-apostleship that was going on in Corinthians. And uh, so I made a switch as I moved into emotional and healthy discipleship of I was scared that people wouldn't listen to someone who was weak and broken like me, but I found out that, no, that actually became the best part of my sermons. Uh, I used to say to people, what part, you know, they'd say, they say, great sermon, Pastor Pete, you know, after the first service, I always want to ask them, like, what was great about it? And they'd always would pick up the little section that I would talk about my own struggle and living out what I was preaching. Uh, but it was in my moments of weakness that actually connected with people. Um, and it took me a while to learn that one. Uh, now, again, I was taught to connect out of weakness and vulnerability in seminary as a sermon tool, kind of as a way to connect with the audience. That is not what I'm talking about here. Please don't do it as a sermon tool. It's better you don't fake it. Please don't fake it till you make it. I'm talking about true vulnerability and true weakness, uh, true groaning, uh, and you're sharing out of your humanity. I mean, do you understand? We're in that, we're preaching for Jesus. I mean, it's just a, I hope you always feel that sense of, like Paul said in First Timothy, you know, I'm the worst of all sinners. I like, who am I to be speaking for God? I mean, it's just, so I want to, I don't want people to think I'm something more than I am. Because uh, I'm not, I'm really not. I'm as weak. If I'm weak, I'm weak. I'm incredibly vulnerable. I hang on the grace of God. Uh, every moment of every day. Uh, and apart from him, uh, you know, I'm lost uh, and there's no fruit coming out of me. So uh, it's out of that connection of vulnerability and weakness. So that means what that means in terms of sermon preparation is you really need time to let that text go into you and break you. So this is, again, you got your, your, your yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm inviting you, my contribution in, in this whole emo preaching discussion of uh, that you're being exposed to in this wonderful podcast and from I'm sure from wonderful people is 
that you need time to let that text get into you and break you uh, and really chew on it so it goes into you. And so when you when you deliver it, it's coming out of weakness. This isn't something you do the night before after you've prepared your beautiful sermon. Uh, and now I say, okay, let me figure out where am I going to make an application? Where am I going to apply it to my life? Where am I going to uh, find a weakness and vulnerability moment so I can connect with my audience? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's who you are. Remember, who you are is the most important question when you preach. That's why your sermons, uh, if you're walking with Jesus, the power of your messages will grow as you grow older. Because hopefully you're more mature in Jesus. You're more of a father or mother in the faith. And so it's coming out of a place of greater spaciousness in God and yourself. You're able to hold people and connect with people on a wider way. You're hopefully more broken as you grow older. All right. That's number four. Uh, number five, and number five actually builds on everything I've said here, but it's a separate point because it's worthy of saying. That's this. Am I allowing the text to transform me? Am I, am I allowing the text to transform me? Now, again, it sounds simple, but remember this. If that text is not transforming you, I would not expect a lot of transformation in your people either. And you may say, well, I preached, let's say it's, let's say it's the text of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And you've preached it five times before. So you've got lots of material uh, on it. You could preach three sermons on it. Um, but that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. Again, we have millions and millions of sermons that people can listen to on the internet. What they need is a life transformed by that text in the moment coming to them. So the question is, how does the sacrificing of Isaac on that altar and letting go uh, uh, impact you right now at this season of your life? Uh, that's the question. Now that, again, we're back to a prayerful life with silence and stillness and allowing it, that to go into you. Um, so I'll just say, for example, you know, for example, for me, you know, I've done a lot of work the last couple of years on uh, Meister Eckhart and his work on detachment. Now it's not a cold detachment, but basically the whole Christian life is one, he says, of detachment. That is that unless we let go of our uh, things we're clinging to, holding on to, or things that we want so badly, unless we let go of them, uh, we're full of ourselves in here, self-will. And God can't fill us. But if we empty ourselves, just like Abraham does, let go of self-will, surrendering to God, then God can fill us. God fills empty containers, not full ones. And he uses the story of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, that... Uh, and she says, you know, yes, Lord, according to your word, let it be. As she surrenders her will, then God fills her with Jesus, and the life of Jesus flows out of her. And he goes in the same way. And this has been written about a lot in church history of origin and other people through the generations, how if we'll empty ourselves of God of ourselves, God will birth Jesus out of our lives. So anyway, last time I spoke on that passage of Abraham, uh, I ended up on really wrestling with what am I clinging to at this season of my life? And 
uh, everything from, uh, you know, security and income and health and grandchildren and my wife. And I mean, I clinging to a lot. So it was lots of fresh application to me um, and, uh, you know, in my life. So again, am I allowing the text to transform me? Uh, and then finally, the sixth one, and I'll close with this one, and we can start with some questions and answers because there's so much I haven't said, um, is am I preaching, am I connecting the message to people's long-term formation? Am I, pre am I connecting this message to where people are and their long-term formation? So in other words, I, friends, preaching, uh, we are not preaching to entertain people. We're not preaching to keep people in the game, in the room. Uh, we're not, we're not preaching to um, impress people. We're sure not preaching for ourselves. I hope uh, uh, we are preaching for formation. In other words, we're the church exists to teach people how to live in the new family of Jesus. That's why we exist. We're, we're doing discipleship. So when you're in that pulpit, uh, you're behind a you know a music stand or lectern. You're preaching. Uh, the question is, where are you bringing them, uh, and in what area of life? So you're thinking through uh, again the teenagers, whether they're singles and divorced, uh, elderly, middle aged, who's just had an affair. I mean, you're just you're, you're thinking through where people are, but more, but also you're you're but you're 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 trying to bring people somewhere. You're not. So it's not the crafting of the art of the sermon that's a success. It's it's you're laboring that Christ be formed in the people with whom you're preaching. So even if I'm a guest preacher, not that I do, not that I do it very much, um, but I'm 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 trying to come alongside uh, and and serve the process of the leadership's formation. I groan till Christ be birthed in you, Galatians four nineteen. That that to me is a preaching text. Uh, I labor till Christ be formed in you, and that we're laboring in. Christ formation. Now we know it's very limited what a sermon can do. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote. I don't know who originally said it, that expecting the people be, be discipled, we think that preaching is, is discipleship. It's a, it's a light discipleship. It creates a culture. It, it's important preaching, but we're never going to get away from Jesus and the 12 and the three. We're always going to have to be involved in discipling the few because uh, the crowd, Jesus knew he had crowds, and he preached the best sermons of all. That was not That was not enough for discipleship. I mean, Peter, James, and John—they didn't get it. Even to the very end, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And so the same thing with our people. So it takes the load off. You've got to have this phenomenal sermon. Now you may say, "I know," but they're going to go watch some guy on television or watch a podcast and listen to somebody else. Pete, they're not going to listen to me. Well, you're right. There's always going to be better, greater preachers out there. Uh, but again, let's let's redefine greatness. Uh, Great greatness is you love that flock of people that God's called. You love them, and you're preaching out of your life authentically and honestly, out of a place of brokenness, and you care about them. You care about bringing them somewhere in the new family of Jesus, that they might be a gift to your community, a gift to the world. You're setting these people free. That's love. That's fathering. That's mothering. That's what you're doing. And you know what? That is better than any slick sermon anybody can get on the internet. Uh, let me tell you, and what you're doing is among the most important works on the face of the earth, uh, and that is preaching and serving, you know, God's people and His church around the world. Uh, so you want to you want to be thinking about that question: Where am I taking people? And I hope it leaves in their formation, their discipleship, and let it take a little bit of pressure off you. 
um, of having this perfect sermon. Uh, and then also frees you up time-wise to say, okay, well, if I'm preaching about relationships and love, what can I do to create some discipleship opportunities, workshops, um, courses to help people actually learn to love people in the new family of Jesus, to resolve conflict differently, to speak clearly, respectfully, and honestly, um, to listen deeply, uh, to present, do a complaint uh, with a request for change without uh, doing violence to people in our communication, et cetera, et cetera. So I, what, I, what preaching did for me was it got me deep into discipleship because for me, everything everything rises and falls on discipleship in our churches and preaching falls under that, within that rubric. Because all leadership development flows out of great discipleship. All leadership development is is, is intense, high-level discipleship. Uh, but that's what we're about. We're about making disciples. Uh, again, not just pleasing a crowd with great preaching.